Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, The Treasure in the Forest by H.G. Wells, first published in Paul Mall Budget, August 23rd, 1894. This is a very early story by Wells. Um, but we're reading it in a version that was published in uh, 1968 um, in a magazine called Worldwide Adventure, which has a few typos here and there that don't wholly interfere with the reading of the story. And also has a little uh, primary uh, a primer, I guess, for what the story is about, where it's set, and uh, sort of a preview of what's going to happen in the story. But for me... I think the most important thing about this story and unlocking it and figuring out what it's about is the title. And I'm not sure everybody else gets that because it seems like a kind of a obvious title, but I think it has a second meaning and I think it's really important. Wow. Okay. I had not expected that, Jesse. I'm always happy to have a curveball there. You learn whether you hit them or you miss them. So <laughs> well, hopefully uh, this is a strike and a uh, and a home run, right? <laughs> Not a strike and a yeah. Uh, no, I mean you, you threw it, and I'm the one who's got to deal with it. Um, so let me just say this a quick summary mm-hmm. uh, for those who haven't read this not very well known story. Um, it begins with a canoe approaching the land. Um, Two people are in it, one of them paddling, one of them not. Um, They are apparently two English wastrels or European wastrels, as they're called in the story. They are seeking buried treasure on this presumably uninhabited island. Uh, They are led to this island by a map that they have somehow gotten, uh, probably through skullduggery indeed, um, which they heard being over being discussed by some Chinamen and the relationship between two Europeans and the Chinese world is a part of what's going on here at the thematic level. They go through the island. They try to find their way into the interior as they approach the place that they think they have been able to interpret the relationship between map and reality well enough to get to the, the treasure. They find a corpse and half unburied treasure. They seek to get the rest of the treasure and first one, then the other dies by having been pricked by uh, thorns in the local vegetation. Um, In the course of the uh, exploration of the island, one of the people has a dream in which he sees the picture Uh, He sees the the face of the fellow whose map it was grinning at him. Mm -hmm. But obviously it's a grin of death because our European characters, who are the only characters we actually see in action, um, die. Is that the story plot wise? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty close. Um, I – we start in the middle of the action. We get the backstory in in the dream and a little bit in the dialogue. Um, the, I, I, as usual, um, Wells, 
has us hanging out with some really horrible people. <laughs> I mean, these are amongst the most horrible people he's, he's he writes about. But generally, I, it, it's striking to me uh, in thinking about why, uh, like I was reading this story, why it was resonating with me. I figured, like, I'm seeing, I'm starting to see his repeated obsessions. I think all great writers seem to have these repeated obsessions. Obviously, they're distinct to each writer, but the fact that they could write over and over and over again using the same sort of obsessions um, is a benefit to us. But it, it seems, it seems like uh, almost necessary for them. In, in that they keep having to think about these ideas in the, in a form of a story. I would like to suggest to you that some of these ideas, which psychoanalytic critics um, call themes, mm -hmm. some of these ideas, I believe the writers are not thinking about. Right, right. Yeah, um, but they're thinking about it unconsciously, but it's coming out in the text. Exactly, and um, it, it, it's beautiful. And I, uh, I'm, I'm wondering why this story is so obscure, given that it's it's so good, um, especially at doing the uh, the thing I think it's doing. But uh, in my research to find out what people thought of it and what whether they're seeing what I'm seeing in it, um, I see kind of um, a combination of. People dismissing it. Oh, I saw one review says, I can't believe uh, the man who wrote The Invisible Man <laughs> wrote this. And then other people saying, oh, it's beautiful. Um, uh, you know, it's and it's 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 an adventure. And it's like, wait, you're not they're not talking about the the exciting, interesting things that are going on in it. I, you know, you're building up suspense, Jesse. Is <laughs> sorry. Uh, come on now, man. Okay. What are these beautiful, exciting things that you say you see in the story? Okay. And uh, at least two of them in the title. Right. Right. Okay. So, um, everybody, I think, understands the lust for gold. Everybody understands the lust for gold. The lust for gold is. The desire to be rich, and rich is essentially being powerful. Um, so that's what drives Evans and Hooker uh, to, I think, straight up murder uh, Chang He um, for his treasure map, and that's horrible. Um, again, dealing with horrible characters and horrible human motivation, that's what HGLs is all about. But the treasure is not the gold to me. I mean, that's obviously it is the gold in the title, but the treasure is the thing that that is mentioned just a couple of times, but is also the the killer. The killer is the poison, right? As you pointed out, it's it's the um, the uh, native thorns, right? We don't. Uh, I'm not. I'm not 100 sure if Chang He put those thorns in with the treasure. Or that they just happen to be growing there. Um, but either way, the treasure in the forest is, I think, related to the thorns. Um, it only happens a couple of times in the story. But um, Wells describes the forest in a number of beautiful ways. But the thing that he says that's most striking to me is the 
unknown flowers. The unknown, I'm just trying to find the spot. Ah, uh, here we go. Here's one of them. Great plants, as yet unnamed, grew among the roots of the big trees and spread rosettes of huge green fans towards this strip of the sky. Many flowers and creepers with shiny foliage clung to the exposed stems. On the water of the broad, quiet pool, which the treasure seekers now overlooked, there floated big oval leaves and a waxen pink, pinkish white flower, not unlike a water lily. So, it's not a water lily, but it's not unlike a water lily. The fact that he mentions these yet unnamed grew among, right? This is biodiversity in in the in this sort of virgin forest, as it's called, quote unquote, virgin forest. The treasure of the forest is the forest's biodiversity. The medicines, the knowledge, the value of plants can never be understated in our human world. I think you mean overstated. Uh, yeah, I guess never overstated in our human world. Um, and yet these men are the lowest of humans in a certain sense. They are acting as animals. And I think, uh, I don't know if you noticed it, but I certainly noticed it um, based on your um your information to me uh, uh i think we did a show on sff audio's podcast years and years ago of um the island of dr moreau and you had um uh, pointed out that in the island of dr moreau um moreau bans his animals his human human animals from dr sucking water um like an animal out of the out of the riverbank Right, they had to bring it to their lips and drink it like from a cup, rather than to suck. And that actually sucking happens twice in here. And the first time it happens is when uh, I think it's Evans leans over the boat and says, "This is too slow." When he's sort of bringing the water up to his lips, so he leans over and just puts his face right in the water and starts sucking the fresh water up into his mouth. And the second happens when Hooker begins to suck furiously at the little pink spot on the ball of his thumb. These are, one is uh, uh, acting like an animal and the other is acting like a baby, right? Th sucking his thumb. And what they're oblivious to is the toxin that they're dying from. And they're focused on the gold, which essentially has no value to humans as a, as a species, other than, you know, it's another material with which to work. The real value to humans as a species is in the power of plants. And we've done several shows on this podcast. I was thinking about all the different ones, ones we've done uh, with H.G. Wells, and at least two of them, um, the first one I, on this podcast on reading short and deep was uh, about plants. Um, what was it called? It was the strange orchid. Yeah, yeah, the flowering of the strange orchid, which is uh, about a, a you know a very curious plant. And we did another one not too long ago um, about a boy who who in a dreamlike state walks through a garden and picks up all of the thorns and 
um, sense as he walks through it. It's very it, to Wells. Um, plants are incredibly important, and as a scientist himself, he knows how important they are. So when we see this, you know, the death come by uh, plant poison, and we see um, the richness of this forest that is beautiful, beautifully described, importantly beautifully described in the story, um, we're not just getting the story of two uh, jerks who murder someone in order to get gold. We're also seeing a sort of a, a loss and a waste because they're focused on the wrong thing, the wrong kind of treasure. Wells is one of the earliest writers to actually use the word ecology. According to uh, the Oxford English Dictionary, the very first use of it is 1875. Um, L. Wells would have been only 11 then. But um, in fact, in popular usage, he's, he's the guy who got us to think about ecology and things going together. Uh, your point about biodiversity is a good one, and it's one that I can believe. But I've got to say that in The Strange Orchid, what we see is the revenge of a female orchid that vampirically almost manages to kill the European who wants to uh, have it in his, in his uh, greenhouse. Um, here, I think you're absolutely right that the, the value of the, of the, the whole environment, not just the plants, but the whole ecology, and we don't see any animals, uh, but we do see rocks and river, and you point out the central importance of the sucking from the river being a sign of the bestiality of one of the uh, European wastrels. We see a whole ecology, and these guys are trying to get into it, um, and they just want to take something out of it, mm -hmm. right? and that's, that's wrong. So I agree with you completely. The treasure in the forest um, – is certainly the value of its plant life. I, I'm with you. That's a terrific uh, uh, supplemental understanding of it uh, that goes deeper than the mere ingots of gold. But I would like to point out that there are some other things going on here that may uh, also work and make us think more about the preservation of ecology rather than the, say, economic value of biodiversity. I mean, really, how much money, how, how much do we want to get new ways to kill people? Um, in 1894, we didn't even have any uh, antibiotics around to uh, let us know that we're going to get medicines unless we believe the natives. Mm -hmm. And that's important because this poison is equated to that used by the Dyaks. Mm -hmm. um, you said that these um, Europeans were motivated by a lust for gold. I wrote that down as you were speaking, mm -hmm. Jesse, a lust for gold. I, I know we're, I'm in danger here of giving another one of my hypersexualized um, readings, but by golly, I think your choice of the word lust, that was a handy metaphor. <laughs> Look, listen to the first paragraph. The canoe, and sometimes, gentlemen, a canoe is just a canoe, but, you know, let's, <laughs> right? The canoe was now approaching the land. The bay opened out. And a gap in the white surf of the reef marked where the little river ran out to sea, to the sea. The thicker and deeper green of the virgin forest showed its course down the distant hill slope. That is to say, we're looking 
up at the slope, right? The virgin forest is coming down. It's gapping open around this bay. The men are going forward in their canoe, right? Down to the beach. And the beach, as uh, I've mentioned before in conversation with you, is almost always, and in wells, as far as I know, always, a zone of conflict between elementally contending forces. Mm -hmm. And here we have the force of European monetarized, symbolized uh, civilization and virgin nature. And the, the, the zone between them is the beach. Far beyond this beach, as they look up the hill in the mountain on that island, dim and almost cloud-like in texture rose the mountains like suddenly frozen waves. My God, you know, if you think of yourself approaching the open legs of a woman lying backwards, you know, and there are her her grand Tetons <laughs> visible in the distance. Um, well, that's what it means in French, and that's the name of the mountains in North America, right? Like suddenly frozen waves, the sea was still save for an almost imperceptible swell. Mm -hmm. The sky blazed. Okay. So then the man with the carved paddle stops, and the next thing he does is hold his arms out straight before him. Now, I'm not at all trying to say that Wells intends to write this as a sexual, a sex, sex story. But there is here a story of the penetration of the European male to, the, to nature, mother nature. Mm -hmm. But she's not a mother yet. She's a virgin. And in fact, the flowers that you say are so important mm – -hmm. Those flowers come up in the very last line of the story. After the men are killed by the thorns of we know not which plant in particular, it says far above him, the second man to die, a faint breeze stirred the greenery and the white petals of some unknown flower mm -hmm. came floating down through the gloom. Now, for a European audience, of course, white is the color of purity. But for a Chinese audience, not only is it the color of purity, which it is, but it's also the color of mourning. Mm -hmm. When you go into mourning in China, that's the color that you use. So these are death flowers. The, the clash of the European civilization and the and nature, which has been used as a fortress for the Chinese, um, the clash of those shows us. It's almost like the unicorn being tameable only by a virgin. Virgins are strong and they are able to tame the Europeans and they sort of mourn, you know. So th this killing, the treasure in the forest is indeed a poison. You pronounce the name of the fellow who has the map, Chang He. Mm -hmm. It's spelled C-H-A-N dash H-I. But, you know, you could spell it, you could pronounce it because who knows what Wells intended, um, you could pronounce it Shanghai. Right, right. Now, now Shanghai, a city in China, became a verb in English. Sure. To Shanghai somebody is to forcibly impress him into the Navy. You knock him out, you take him on board, and when the boat is already out to sea and he wakes up or he's, you let him loose from his bonds, um, he's going to be your sailor whether he likes it or not. So human beings are shanghaied for their economic value to the European imperial establishment. Mm -hmm. 
here is not Shanghai spelled the way uh, an Englishman would, but it's spelled a different way, maybe the way a Chinaman would. Mm -hmm. And this is the revenge of Shanghai. The map is very important. You mentioned that they were unnamed flowers. Mm -hmm. And in the very last line that I quoted, it's the petals of some unknown flower. Mm -hmm. There is throughout this story a continuing, um, how shall I say, a base, a baseline. I mean the way we have the left hand on a piano. There, there's a, a kind of recurrence again and again to questions of legibility, to questions of representation. How do you know by looking at a plant that it is unknown? Mm -hmm. It can only be unknown to you. How do you know looking at a plant that it's unnamed. Mm -hmm. When we get the first description of the map, we're told that that the men, that is the European men, have folded and unfolded it so many times that it has perhaps falling apart and they've worn away some of the markers on it. So that becomes sort of illegible. As they approach the place where they think they will find the treasure, they see dashes on the map and they don't know what they represent. Of course, we find out those dashes represent places where the treasure is guarded by greenery. Um, and, but they don't know that. It's wonderful to me that what Wells has created here is, as you say, a, a, a virgin world. You picked up that word right at the beginning of your, what your, your comments a virgin world that stands against the European, but the European depends only upon symbols and understanding what they might really mean. As you point out, gold has no intrinsic value. You can't eat it. You can't kill with it. You can't make clothing out of it. I mean, right. The gold is valuable only because there is a civilized world that wants to give it value. The real stuff you want here is the water that flows out from between mm -hmm. those, uh, you know, that gap um, in the greenery. Um, the real value is the life-giving nature and, in fact, the death-taking nature. That's the real treasure in the forest. And it stands against not only European avarice and European civilization, it stands against the very notion that we can actually understand the world if we understand it only through mediation, if we understand it only through representation, if we know what a thing is only because we think we have named it and therefore made it our own. This story says, no, that is hubris. The reality of the world is direct. And anyone who doesn't understand the direct reality of the world, anyone who has been so seduced by the representation of the world in language, maps, misspellings, uh, is wrong. The, the two wastrels over here, the map being discussed by three different Chinamen who are speaking in pidgin English. Mm -hmm. We're told that because they come from three different provinces and are mutually unintelligible unless they use yet another language, which happens to be the language of the conquerors. And this language of the conquerors or the exploiters, this language of the exploiters, which they do not deeply understand and do not deeply reproduce, mm. this language is enough 
to let the exploiters know what to do to gain the exploiter's desire. But fortunately, these Chinamen are more closely in touch with reality. There's a line in here after they discover the corpse of an earlier uh, seeker of the treasure um, who is Chinese. Mm-hmm. It says, but what does a Chinaman, what, what does a Chinaman signify? And when I read the story the first time, I thought, that's the question. What, what does it signify that it's a Chinaman who is uh, trying to do this? Well, and the answer, of course, is that uh, even Chinamen can be as fooled by maps and lost for gold as as Europeans. But when I read it again, it seemed to me that it's actually a rhetorical question mm. that the guy is saying, the, the Evans is saying, but what does a Chinaman signify? Because, as it says three sentences later, all Chinamen are alike. What's the difference if they die? In other words, there is also in here not simply a matter of the virgin world versus Europe, but also the source of that hubris among the Europeans, their utter racism, mm-hmm. their failure to give the credit and respect to anything other than themselves. And this applies not simply to Mother Nature. It applies even to other Europeans human beings Mm -hmm. in that sense it seems to me this story is not only about epistemology how do we know stuff it's also a deeply political story i think that thinking our way through the symbolism and why we need to worry about the different kinds of lusts involved and the sort of avarice uh, tells us that as you were saying wells has a continuing theme and that continuing theme puts us often in the presence of really bad people. And the reason he puts us in the presence of those really bad people is that he wants us to see that we are in danger of being those really bad people. Mm-hmm. Not because we're out there stealing gold, but just because we have the attitude that we understand stuff because we have words for it. Mm-hmm. That's just not true right um the one of the words that describes the chinaman's life right is it's not considered sacred (laughs) european lives considered sacred um right that's it's not murder when you murder chinese what and uh you know when they see the 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 pigtail of the of the corpse um and they're reminded of the pigtail of chang he um, we aren't told what they did to Chang He to give the the map to them, but we know what they did. I mean, uh, one of the dreams that he has, uh, one of the guys has, is um, that he's in hell, right? That he's being punished uh, by a, 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 a devil that looks like Chang He. And it's, it, it, I think that the, this is the the... The it's a simple story of revenge uh, of people going into the forest and you know not being as well prepared as they should have been. They should have been smarter about what they're doing. Like that's not really what it's about. Um, it's it's about yeah hubris, about pride and 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 not seeing the true value all around you. I I, I wanted to I I knew that we had done another story that was about the you know the forest and about about the value of biodiversity. 
and and having you know just you know we've got a poison at the end of this story um but poisons are also medicine the the way medicines work right is it's one one thing's poison is another thing's medicine right we uh use the the uh plants and drug which actually means plant in uh it is derived from the word plant in i think um uh the netherlands actually but what's interesting is that we see this again and again so in the purple pileus which is another story we did this is about a guy who who eats a bunch of mushrooms um goes crazy and solves his his worldly problems by having this sort of transcendent experience um he they they give him a certain sort of change that is associated with eating basically magic mushrooms um that is a poison for for humans but not so deadly as to cause death but that's how medicines work right you pointed out at this time the story is written we don't even have basic um antibiotics and yet antibiotics uh, the active ingredient in mold kills off competitors that's the purpose of it right but for us that knowledge the value of knowing what that plant is knowing not just its name but its properties its use it's the lore associated with it and that's why that last line uh some unknown flower that unknown flower is is not coming from um hooker that's not him talking that's wells that's Wells saying there's the treasure in the forest to me so wells found and in that last line he impels us to realize that as simple as this story is there's always more to say and remember you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep.